Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back. It's a March Madness edition of Terry's Talking. It's David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com. Alongside, as always, Terry Pluto, award-winning sports columnist from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Terry, how are you, sir? Just like everybody else in the sports biz, pretty busy. And you got big plans for St. Patrick's Day tomorrow, I'm guessing, right? <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> writing about whatever Deshaun Watson makes up his mind. That's probably it. Yeah, talk about uh, a day of the green. It'll be a big, <sighs> big payday for whoever they're going right, to pay David, a I'm lot of gonna, money. I, I gotta, I'm gonna just say this because now I'm like, it's not just that teams are trying to trade for Deshaun Watson. Here's a guy who didn't play last year, who does have 22 civil lawsuits facing him, and my guess is not all of them are legit, but clearly there's some stuff going on here that was of such a concern that he didn't play last year. Yet here are now at least four teams coming to him to approve a deal. I mean, that's what happens when you have a no trade clause, but the whole thing is unsavory to me. All right, well, let's get into this. We're going to talk some, some Deshaun Watson, some Baker Mayfield. We'll talk a little bit of Cavs. We'll talk some NCAA basketball. So, so Deshaun Watson, Terry, today – um, Doug Maurice, our one of our other columnists uh, joining you, put up a poll to our texters yesterday saying, hey, how do you feel about Deshaun Watson? And today, Tim Bielek put a post up on cleveland.com about it. You can check it out there. So the first question we asked our subs texters, and you can join if you want by going to cleveland.com slash Browns. If there's a blue bar at the top, click on that. You, sub- you can subscribe. You'll get a free Browns newsletter every day that comes with the subscription, and you can be part of our texter service where we text news and analysis. So there's a little plug for that. But the first question we asked the texters was, do you want the Browns to sign Deshaun Watson? Did you see the poll already today, Terry? Can you no, guess? I did not. All right. So what percentage All of right, people... guess Are you going to guess based on my emails? Mm-hmm. My emails are probably, um, as they say, because remember, there's a difference between shine, excuse me, signing Watson and trading a whole bunch of stuff for Watson, in my mind, you know, because it, it that basically there's a moral issue about signing him to begin with, and then there's a business issue. Right. But based upon, am I, because I kind of took both in the column I wrote, so my readers kind of went off of that. I would say 85% were against it. Interesting. Okay, so we asked okay. people, should the Browns trade for Deshaun Watson? And our, among our text subscribers, 60% said flat out no. Yep. So, yeah, that, that so you, but you're seeing more out. than that. You're seeing more sentiment in your emails that you're yeah, seeing. Now, granted, the people, of course, those people that disagree with you often come out too. But I think I hit the nerve of, and a number of them were like, well, you know, I mean, if it didn't cost as much, maybe because there's less risk, you could, you know, in other words, you're not on the hook for him. But it's like, 
combining the uncertainty of the civil lawsuits with all that, they're like, I, I would no. There's they were just like no. So 60 so your 60% said no. And then the second part of it, and getting back to the fandom of this, which is kind of what you were talking about, mm-hmm. uh, we asked people, would you consider not being a Browns fan if the Browns trade for Deshaun Watson? 48% said, I wouldn't like it, but I'm always going to root for the Browns. Yeah, that's what, yeah. 23%, I have no issues, I'd continue to root for the Browns. 13% said they'd be super excited for the deal and would be even more fired up to be a Browns fan. And 7% said, I would stop rooting for the Browns. 10% said maybe I would stop rooting for the Browns. So like 17% kind of said it would affect how they felt about the Browns in terms of whether they would root for, for the team. So anything surprising there to you? No, not at all. I think Browns. Yeah, that's about what I expected too. By the way, David, David, on that return, because this is very interesting to me. This is what the Browns are betting on. In other words, we could bring them in. They won't like it. But Browns fans are, I mean, they've gone through one and 31. They've gone through a move. They've gone through all this. They can go through Deshaun Watson. And if he wins some games, you know, in two years, people want to build a statue to him. You know, I mean, that's kind of when, when they get down to it, that's probably how they view it. Well, and we were talking about this yesterday when we were on the, uh, a call about how time passes, games are won, and people's view of a player change. I mean, look at Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh that he did a victory lap for his retirement last home game last year. And the, the sexual assault incident that he had years earlier in a bathroom in a Pittsburgh bar never came up. The time had just kind of passed and people had moved on Kobe Bryant. He had the incident that he had, um, you know, now he's obviously thought of that. That never comes up. So time moves on and you know, you can be, you can and, move and, past and that as a player and organization. I think you're right. I think the Browns are banking on that. They're banking on that. And to be fair too, um, in both of those cases, as bad as they were, nothing came up for those players after that. See, that's a key thing too. Uh, then how was their behavior over time? It's like, I mean, I got some email, a couple of emails said, well, this is just like getting Josh Gordon. No, I mean, Josh Gordon was always in trouble. I'm not going to compare what Josh Gordon did to other stuff, but I'm just saying Gordon was perpetually, you know, in trouble. So, but right now this is very fresh uh, on Watson. It's not something that happened five years ago. That's a difference in my mind too. And there's potentially 22 civil lawsuits that will be playing out over these next he's months get and years. David, and he's going to get suspended. In fact, if the NFL doesn't suspend him, you know, how does, how do they handle that after they suspended all these other people for different stuff? Well, that's the argument. Let me get to the third question of the poll and then we'll get into this oh, a little sorry. bit, but no, it's okay. Um, the, the other question that I thought was interesting that we asked was, do you have a problem with the Browns acquiring Watson because it would mean giving up multiple high draft picks, looks like three number one draft picks at least, and giving up on Baker Mayfield? 55% said, yes, I have a problem with the price and or the end of the Mayfield era. And 45% said, no, I don't have a problem with the, the assets and the Mayfield part of it. So, um, sorry, what were you just saying? What was your last point? I kind of got us a little back off the track there. Well, I don't know. I mean, basically that kind of fits to, but see, you can't separate all that. You, when you bring it to Sean Watson, you have the whole deal. You've got no Baker Mayfield. 
you have two or three number ones going somewhere else and maybe players, and you have his off-the-field situation hanging over him, and you have a suspension for this year. Now, granted, if you bring in Watson and he's on a four-year contract, and so you're, it's a long-term Kermit, but that contract is $40 million a year, and he didn't play all last year. Now, this is, like I said, this is different than signing him as a free, you know, like Kareem Hunt. You, you bring him in off the street. He's been, his value is almost zero at that point. He was still suspended or coming off suspension. And so you're able to get him on a, on a cheap contract where actually that was good too, because it's like, and, and even when they signed to an extension, there's a whole bunch of uh, behavior clauses in there. And that's good. I mean, this is the way you talk to anybody who's had any sort of problems over time. You know, one of the great ways to change behavior is through pain and a little bit of fear. I mean, frankly, if you're Deshaun Watson, you've, your, your reputation's taken a big hit, PR-wise. But four teams are lining up to beg you to come. All right, Terry. So I want to get into, you've kind of been talking about why you're not in favor of this deal. There's obviously the football part and the other part, but the, the, the worst case scenario from a football point of view is the Browns give up all these assets. Deshaun Watson comes in here. He's suspended. The thing unravels. It falls apart. He, he has more issues off the field and they have to let him go. That's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario, best case scenario is he's, let's say he's suspended for four or eight games. He's the quarterback of the Browns for 10 years. And mm-hmm. at the end of the 10 years, the Browns have won a Super Bowl or two. Sure. And, and like you were saying earlier, they're building statues or having, a, you know, a ceremony for him for his last game before he retires. I mean, it's the Ben Roethlisberger treatment uh, for the last home game. So given those two scenarios, I know you wrote your column yesterday saying that you're not in favor of this and you laid out why, but that floor and that ceiling, given that as background, you you're still pretty strongly in the camp of do not bring him. Yeah, because it's probably going to end up somewhere in the middle where he's pretty good. Now he does an ACL knee injury in his background. He likes to scramble injuries, you know, this, this type of stuff. I mean, I, he's an upgrade over Baker. I'm not anybody who basically, if somebody's saying that they just want, they're not looking at the tape in effect. Okay. Just like I would also argue if you're simply going to say Baker Mayfield uh, is as bad as he was the last 12 games or whatever of last year, you're also not looking at the overall tape either. You know, Baker's pretty good. You know, Watson's better than that. I do not consider Watson an elite. I'm going to take you on my shoulders and carry you to the playoffs year after year quarterback, but he's better. Now, some other people do. You know, they might even have him in the top five. You know, I have him in that top 10 area, you know, something like that. But that's the, the Watson that doesn't cost me three number ones and all kinds of other things, man. You know, so funny how the NFL is you, it works with Stafford and suddenly bang, we got to do this. The NFL is a copycat league and, and you have, an and we're seeing it again. So desperate. Remember Jimmy Haslam didn't go from one gas station in 1958, that was his father, Big Jim Haslam, I may add, to 800 stations, to a deal with Warren Buffett now worth $11 billion. I found that in a couple of these business things because it was in the Berkshire Hashaway. That's Warren Buffett's company. They have to put out their annual report. They just kind of drop that in the middle. Oh, by the way, and $11 billion, no big deal. And for the Haslams, they're getting 
Uh, they got four, four billion here, and they're going to get another eleven billion there. Okay. Anyway, you don't go from that without taking some risk and taking some hits, but also getting some big wins. So he's programmed to that. Just like when the Browns took Johnny Manziel, and I wrote about this in Browns Blues, and I know for a fact it's true because when uh, I had a pretty good relationship with Joe Banner when he, when he was here, and Banner told me right after um, he was let go, and I said, we were talking about quarterbacks, and he said, well, my favorite, in fact, he asked me, he goes, who's your favorite in this draft? That was the, the Manziel draft. And I said, uh, Bridgewater, and I forgot who I had second or something. And he said, and, um, and I said, well, I don't want to get Manziel. And he just said in passing, oh, I don't think they're taking Manziel. We hit him off the draft board by the time I left. Now, he told no, me I'm that. No kidding. All right, now, to make, underline the point, if you read Browns, Browns Blues, how, under the chapter, how did Johnny Manziel, Come to the Browns. I have Joe Banner on tape, on record, in the book, saying that and adding, we were aware of all his off-the-field stuff well beyond alcoholism. So he said, don't ask me how he got back on the board, but I think we all know. Ownership was willing to take the gamble. And here we see it again where, not that, no, we're not equating Johnny Manziel to Sean Watson, but in terms of taking the the risk to make a big thing happen. He's desperate to get that quarterback that's going to allow him to win. Because you think about they bought the team in 2012. And how many winning seasons have they had? Since Jimmy Haslam bought the team in 2012. The only winning season was the playoff season of two years ago is what you're saying. Gotcha. As they say in court, I will rephrase. He bought the team in 2012. He's had one winning season. He thought he was going to have at least two in a row. They went eight and nine. You know, and, and, and Baker lost a lot of confidence. In, remember, this front office didn't draft him. And what you're saying is you've got an emerging defense with Miles Garrett in his prime, yeah. a great offensive line, an all-pro running back, and there's one missing piece, and you're saying that Jimmy Haslam is seeing this as this is the time to go for it, and we're going to go for it. I mean, I know one time he once said to somebody, and I believe he goes, you know, and I kind of buy this. He goes, we just got to keep drafting quarterbacks till we get one. And that's not bad. You know, Mike Holmgren sent similar to that. Uh, the other thing about this, uh, the Haslam thing is um, clearly they've made a decision that they were moving on from Baker, period. It's pretty hard to bring him back because you're not even bringing him back. You're bringing him back on a one-year contract. All right. So let's, let's talk about Baker. So just to sum up the Deshaun Watson, you're against it for both reasons. The foot, You think yes, it's too much to give up. Reasons. And, Price and, is too high, and you got moral consideration. And the non-football reason. So Baker Mayfield, uh, he goes on Twitter. He was on kind of a social media hiatus for a while. He says, I'm, I'm shutting it down. I'm going to focus on my rehab. Wrote a letter last night on Twitter and put it up there. I'm going to read it real quick just so people, yeah, for people who haven't seen it. Right? One. All right. Interesting. This is Baker Mayfield writing on Twitter last night. Cleveland. The past four years have been nothing short of truly life-changing since I heard my name called in the draft to go to Cleveland. This is not a message with hidden meaning. This is strictly to thank the city of Cleveland for embracing my family and me. We have made many memories and shared growing in this process through all the ups and downs. I have no clue what happens next, which is the meaning behind the silence I have had during the duration of this process. I can only control what I can, which is trusting in God's plan throughout this process. I've given this franchise everything I have. That is something I've always done at every stage and at every level, and that will not change wherever I take my next snap. 
Whatever happens, I just want to say thank you to the fans who truly embraced who I am and the mentality that aligned so well with this city's hardworking people. Cleveland will always be a part of Emily and my story, and we will always be thankful for the impact it has had and will have in our lives. Sincerely, Baker Reagan Mayfield. He put his middle name in there just for effect. So, all right. So well, you good, saw that. Yeah, good <laughs> job by Emily, the PR people, and Baker. Okay, here's what I think. And I kind of like it. Rather than go out there and say, well, you must not love me. You got to trade me. Just say goodbye. Think about it. So, so you're convinced that he's gone. Yes. At this point. So, all right. So this is, this is where we're at, Terry. And I want to ask you this question. Let's say Deshaun Watson ends up with the Saints, as we're seeing some reports. And, Baker, yep. and you're saying Bay, Baker Mayfield is gone. The Browns have painted themselves into a corner here. Uh-oh, and they're, they're they out have. of luck. In the barn, in the barn is the horse I like to ride, Case Keenum. Come on. No, you haul him out and you go sign Teddy Bridgewater or something. All right. Well, Teddy Bridgewater's with has signed with the Dolphins. So oh, your your favorite guy is off the board. I think it just another one of my horses taken <laughs> off the track. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, so you that gonna, was my plan. Yeah. So what so did that happen? I think on uh, yeah maybe yesterday or well it doesn't happen officially till today. I think yeah, at four o'clock. Right. I but, know so um, much has been spinning. Okay. Well, yeah, they got to go get somebody else. So you're going into a season with a, a defense built to win a championship, yep. an offensive line that's built to win a championship, a running game that's built Although, to win a championship, Amari Cooper, and you're going to go into the season with Case Keenum as your quarterback. I, I'm gonna. I here's my willing, here's my opposing theory, Terry. No, I, I was willing think, to. By the way, I was willing to come back with. Uh, let's get Baker healthy. And I wanted Bridgewater. Okay, if not Bridgewater, I want a quarterback that. By the way, let me ask you this. Two questions, because you were a, a line guy. How did you feel about them dropping Treader? Well, they must really like Nick Harris Treader. to do that. Yeah. And he, you know, he played in the Green, the Green Bay game last year. I think mm-hmm. he acquitted himself pretty well. Yes, he and did. It's, you have to ask yourself, is it worth the extra money to get him, you know, a marginal amount of improved play at center? So, but I want to go back to this court. So here's my theory, Terry. Think about where the Packers and Aaron Rodgers were a year ago, mm-hmm. right? Aaron Rodgers, he saw the Packers draft Jordan Love in the first round. They basically drafted from underneath him. Yeah. They lose a playoff game, a huge playoff game at home because Matt LaFleur decides to kick a field goal <laughs> in the final minutes of the game instead of going down. If you're going to go down, you go down with Aaron Rodgers and the yeah. ball in his hands. And instead, Matt LaFleur decides, I'm going to kick the field goal and take my chances and see if we can pull this out. I know that drove Aaron Rodgers crazy, and I bet part of what he said last year is like, listen, we're going down the right way or we're not going down or I'm not staying here. And mm-hmm. now we look, not only did he play last season and, and have an MVP-type season, but now he's just signed a, a deal where he could be there for two years or four years or wh- whatever he wants to do, and the Packers and, and him are are kind of married, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to end up the way it's going to end up, and he's going to retire a Packer. So we've seen this before. There's a lot of bad blood going on right now, but if the Browns and Baker Mayfield sit down and they're like, Hey, we're going to extend your contract a couple of years. We're going to give you, well, that changes everything. So you know how it is Terry in sports money and time and, and, and talking stuff out can change a lot. So I'm just thinking like money, it it feels really bad right now. You're absolutely right. Like he could be gone today 
for all well, we know. But I'm basing some of this on things that I had heard, you know, internally, but they thought they could work it out. One that they were not thrilled with they felt Baker was they'll never say this, but they thought Baker was kind of playing both sides of the railroad tracks. One is, you know, I'm out there, I'm hurt, I'm playing, you know, the tough Baker. But the other side of the track is you can't criticize me because I'm playing hurt. And of course, my view is after a couple of weeks of that, it's like, look, you're you're going out there. You're gonna be treated like any other quarterback now in my mind when I was writing about you're playing crappy, you know, he said he could play. The doctor said he could play. He's playing and he's playing. Yeah. And my view was, by the way, if they were so down on Baker, as appears they are now, David, that, um, Oh, here comes the horse out of the barn again. Why didn't case Keenum play last three or four of those games? You could have called the other guy hurt, sent him to have the surgery and done it. Now, I'm not saying you go the season just totally with Case Keenum, but I like having him because I, you know, we saw two games. You you get a you get a really good backup quarterback. I guess that's all I'm saying. But now they have to go shopping. But to your point, the one thing you said in there that would change the dynamic would be if they decide to, you know, extend his contract a year or two. Then he would feel, okay, they want me. But uh, clearly the, the contract talks went nowhere. And the other thing is I've heard that the Browns are concerned and they look, you know, how they study analytically. A lot of these quarterbacks that have gotten extensions, Garoppolo, Wentz, um, Goff, they imploded. And then you're stuck with this huge deal. And you're trying to get rid of these guys or, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, Garoppolo actually is not bad, but he keeps getting hurt. Um, But the other two guys fell apart. And by the way, teams will want Baker Mayfield. I think you make a decent deal. I'm not saying you get a number one pick, but oh, there's no doubt. Yeah, teams would want th- him. All right, you're another GM. How do you talk yourself into Baker? Say, say you you're willing to give up a second and a fourth or something like that. Yeah, I think that's in the neighborhood of what they would get. But yeah. you look at his film from two years ago when he was healthy, and you look at him when he's playing with some receivers um, who don't drop the ball and get open. I mean, uh, it, we all saw the. OBJ is always open, but there's been a lot of times where receivers weren't open. Baker yeah, threw, threw them open and they dropped the ball or, or, yeah. or something. I mean, yeah, so I, I yeah. think his film, his film will earn him a starting job somewhere. There's no yeah, doubt. It, it, it will. And he's young enough. And then he could turn around and go, well, it's Cleveland. All the quarterbacks go to die there. By the way, which when they trade Baker or whatever, that still hangs over the franchise where quarterbacks go to die, except Bernie Kozar. Name the last one that thrived here. Now, some were better than others. You know, Tim Couch almost physically was decapitated, you know, trying to play quarterback here in the early days. So that's another thing. And and that could be behind this Watson thing, thinking if we could just, like you said, get the guy, forget 10 years. How about five years? If they get five good years out of Deshaun Watson, boy, that changes the trajectory of the franchise. I'm sure that's what they're thinking. Right, right. And they're willing right. to take the gamble to do it. So it's fun. But to your point also, uh, well, since they since they took Bridgewater out, I'd have to go back and look at that list again. And, you know, Trubisky. How about Trubisky going to Steelers? It's a great fit. Excellent. Excellent yeah. fit. And the right length of contract, too. Mm-hmm. With the right ago. coach, with the right defense, with the, you know, all that stuff. 
So Terry, let's run through real quick. We got to move on here. We're running a little long, but I want to run through all the moves just to reset everything. And then if you have any comments about any of this stuff, Amari Cooper or anything else, jump in when I'm done. So, all right. So guys that are leaving the Browns, Jarvis Landry, JC Treader, Austin Hooper, has, he's going to be gone as of June 1st. Mac Wilson, who was involved in the trade for Chase Winovich. MJ Stewart and Andy Janovich. Players who are coming to the Browns, Amari Cooper. Okay, let's, let's, let's stop there. All right, you okay. want to go? You want to do the gone guys first? Go ahead. Yeah, who do you miss? Who will you miss? Who will the Browns miss the most off that list? Yeah. I'm going to say Jarvis Landry. Okay. I'm going to say Treader. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, now, the one thing about Treader, his knees are glass. You know, I mean, they're just – he's been doing the last two years what's called the Joe Thomas treatment around Berea. In other words, Joe Thomas used to say – you can get an hour and a half out of me at practice, but any more than that, you're not going to get three hours out of me. And then he was always in the meetings or whatever, but his knees were shot, you know? So that was the one thing about Treader was on that program. But I really think that, you know, that you talk about the great offensive line. Well, he was a big part of that. Um, yeah. They'll miss I would have liked to have seen Landry resigned on a cheap contract, but I also know players pride in that. That's pretty hard to do. They'd rather go, you know, was it going to make 16 here? He'd rather go somewhere else for 5 million and feel he picked the team than take a bit pay cut to stay. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right on Treader. You know, Treader, I think he only missed one game. He was an outstanding Brown yes. what, the time he was here, but um, we don't know what was going on behind the scenes with his injuries well, and the Browns would, know all that. So, and also what you would see just that list that would come out every week and who's not practicing at least two days. He wasn't practicing. Now he's there, but you know, Joe, Joe Thomas one time, when, in fact, that, that's also, I think, in Browns Blues, I talked to Joe like quite a bit about kind of what he went through. And that's what he told me. He said, you know, I told him, I, at the most, I got a couple hours for the full week on the field the last few years I played. He goes, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. He goes, I gave him every snap. You remember until right at the end. He said, but that, that's the only way he could do it. And Treader was doing the same thing. So we have Landry. Uh, who else? Hooper. I don't care. Mac Wilson, MJ Stewart, and Andy Janovich. But yeah, you're right. Landry and JC Treader were, they played different positions, obviously, but they were cut from the same cloth. And we saw Jarvis Landry give that speech his first year here about you play. If there's any way you can can play, you play, you tough it out. And I think that that was part of the culture change of the Browns. So, all right, let's move on to the guys who are coming, Terry, because I want to get your thoughts. Um, Amari Cooper, the trade, the big trade that happened over the weekend. I want to hear your take on that real quick. Chase Winovich. Taven Bryan, defensive tackle, and Jakeem Grant, return guy, who has returned, I think, one kick for a touchdown every year of his career, except for one year, maybe 2017. Browns really needed an upgrade in their special teams and especially the return yeah. game. So the what's your take I on any know. of those? I don't know that well. Uh, they got Cooper for, you know, bargain basement. Uh, the big thing there was the $20 million uh, salary that he has. Uh, I interviewed a top executive, and I used it in my column over the weekend, said two things. Number one is um, he said the thing that drives you a little nuts about Cooper is he's good, but you look at him and you think he should be great. He says, I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but he goes, there's just something. He goes, and now I'm going to tell you he's a really good route runner, if not great, and he has good hands. He said, if you look early in his career, which I did, he dropped like 18 passes as a rookie, and there's hardly any the last few years. So he's improved his hands, which shows you can do it. His route running is good. He goes, but it just – you just feel there's more there. He says, but none, nonetheless, you look at the Browns, there's nothing there. So, you know, you take it. 
but he's not going to be Jarvis Landry. And as the guy said, Jarvis Landry in the locker room. And he said, it would be nice if they would have been able to, at that point, maybe get Jarvis to come back. He goes, that would be a nice combination, but he goes, "What? it's a, it's a no win. I mean, no lose for the Browns. And he said, the reason though, that he was available was the $20 million cap figure. Plus um, the, uh, like I said, just a little bit of frustration. And he made another really nice point. He says, he's got three years left on his contract. They're all not guaranteed. He goes, so what you really have is you've got him on a one-year contract, but you have control for three years. He goes, so you could really, you should get the best out of him. He goes, because the first two, he signed a $100 million deal, but the first two were guaranteed. So now he's on the non-guaranteed portion of it. This is, you know, they always talk about the money. So at, after talking to him, I felt even better about the trade. Yeah, and you look at where some of these other guys are signing, Terry. I mean, Christian Kirk going to the Jaguars for $21 million a year, and the Browns got Amari Cooper for twenty. I mean, yeah. it's uh, you're right. They they got they made it was a good move there. I think they're going to be like really happy with that. Too, uh, David, like the Kirk thing. It's like when a guy was signed with the Browns for an excessive amount of money. It used to be called in the NFL the Browns tariff. <laughs> in other words, you know, you have to pay even extra to get your guy because you have such problems. Well, I mean, there's a bit of a tariff with the Browns, but Jacksonville has certainly moved into that category of you're going to pay like 25 or 40 percent more to get a guy to go there. Uh, there's no doubt about it. So lot, lots of do down in Jacksonville. All right, Terry, let's take a break. Um, hey, when we come back, we're going to talk some Cavaliers. We are going to talk some March Madness. Terry's been writing about the Akron Zips who are in the tournament. What a story they are. We'll do a couple of Hey Terry questions. And I've got some Terry's trivia. I think you might like this one, Terry. We'll see how things go with that. So we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. All right, we are back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, let's talk a little Cavaliers. Cavs go into tonight's home game against Philadelphia. They're 39 and 29, sixth place wow. in the East, one game ahead of Toronto. Uh, they had a pretty good lead on Toronto after they beat them a couple weeks ago, and that has really tightened up as the Cavs have been battling injuries here. Obviously, the goal is to make the top six so you avoid the play-in tournament. Are they going to be able to pull this off, you think, Terry? I hope so. I mean, it just I mean, who knew a couple of weeks ago that we would see Jared Allen sitting there with his hand in a cast. But if you saw that the other day, he's got a broken finger, but they got, it must be bad. They got the whole thing immobilized. And, you know, two things need to happen. One is Levert needs to stay healthy. I was very impressed with Levert's first game back uh, against the Clippers the other night. Uh, not just because I think he scored 11 points in 20 minutes or whatever, but his defense was really good. I mean, he was another tall uh, as they say, long, lanky guard joining Okoro and Stevens that they could throw out on the floor and defend. And then also he can handle the ball some. It's not his favorite thing to do. So when Garland's out, and he could take some pressure off of Garland. So that's a big thing if they keep him healthy. And, you know, they really need marketing. Marketing is a, is a, is a become a very important player. It'll be really interesting to see how they come together when they get through all these injuries and when guys are healthy. And if they can time it where they all get healthy, and who knows what the Jared Allen situation is, right? Yeah. We haven't really heard that doesn't, that when doesn't he'll be sound back. Good. It doesn't, but it would be, I think fans would love to see this team be healthy and as complete oh, as it yeah. can be just to see what it looks like. Cause it's been, I mean, we barely have seen that at all this season, if, if at all. I mean, Chris Fedor, who 
our wonderful basketball writer. And I, I really, I really, I'm hard on basketball writers, David, because I did it for seven years. So I have strong opinions. We've had, um, I was telling Chris this, I said, no, you know, you're following in the uh, footsteps of Brian Winhurst, who we had there. And then uh, Brian and I go back to the Akron Beacon Journal together. And, you know, he was sort of my protege. He's long, his path, his star is long past me, but uh, Chris has got the same stuff. His style's a little different, but Chris has been, you know, openly campaigning for JB as coach of the year. And it, it's a really fair um, point. I'd have to go look at a couple of the other teams to see maybe if somebody else is better, but my goodness, this man's ability to keep this, the uh, ship steady to, uh, you know, keep them playing hard. They had a little bit of a down period there and he got them back on, on, on course again. That game with the Clippers the other night, I mean, I was – and Tyron Lue had his kids ready to play, too. They're young, and there's – I mean, this was two teams scrambling around all over the court. Um, and Mike Fratello does the Clipper games. And he was telling me, he goes, wait till you see the Clippers now. I mean, they don't have Paul George, and they don't have Kawhi. He says, but these guys are so much fun. And that's what it was. It was two teams playing kind of old-style NBA, and it was, it was great. And I just think, and good credit to Ty Lu, uh, showing he could coach a different type of team too. Yeah, and if you uh, if you look what JB said, going back to the coach of the year stuff, um, and Chris Fedor had this in his story, but JB's his personality is just it really shines through the whole team. And and people were asking him, oh, do you think you should win coach of the year? And he basically said he listed like every guy who should win it except him. Like, yeah. You know, Monty Williams is having a great year. And Steve, he basically just, he's selfless and he, it's all about team. And that's the way his guys play too. Think about how he sold the guys on the all-star team. He kept saying, no, you know why you made the all-star team? It's a team award and we're winning. So therefore they're looking. And on top of that, we're one of the best defensive teams. So you look at the four guys who were picked. You know, Garland's excluded. He's not terrible defensively, but nobody thinks of him as a defensive player. You know, he's he's uh, on the verge of becoming an elite point guard. But Okoro, and then you take Mobley, and you take Allen, their, you know, defense is what got them to where they are. Now, interesting to watch Mobley's offense continue to bloom now that he's needed more. But what a – but, in other words, he, he – and he told them that when they came back. He said, this – remember, guys, this was a team thing because we are surprising people and we're playing it the right way, and you're a big part of that. And so I think when it comes coach of the year, he would turn around, yeah, it's a team thing because these guys, yeah, I'm pushing them to defend and I'm pushing them to be unselfish. But any NBA coach will tell you, if they decide they don't want to do it, they just won't, and then you'll get fired. That's it. That's the way it works. And he's treating, and, and the team is treating every game like a playoff game from this point mm-hmm. out. Like they've entered playoff mode. They realize that the, the more games they lose, the harder they're making their path in terms of having to face a number one or number two seed in the early in the tournament. So, um, so that quest continues. Um, some big games coming up, Terry. They've got uh, on Wednesday night tonight, they've got the Sixers at home. Then three more home games after that. They have the Nuggets on Friday. On Saturday, they have a back-to-back against Detroit. That's also at home at 8. And then Monday, the Lakers come in for a 7 o'clock tip. And then next Thursday, the 24th, Toronto comes to town. Yeah. That's going to be a big one for playoff seating. And they always talk about it being, a t- what, a two-game swing. I don't know if 
the math backs that up, but I it's certainly I, big. You you can guarantee the team you're chasing wins or loses based on how you play. So those are those are big ones. And when I, ro- I want to circle back to marketing because you're not going to have Allen probably the rest of the regular season anyway. So you need him to stay healthy. You know, he's seven foot. And then also what you need is for him to uh, keep exerting himself on the defensive end because they need the, they need at least the two seven footers. They sometimes throw Dean Wade out there, but uh, that's, they can't lose that identity. That's what got them there. That they were big and tough, you know, under the boards. And also uh, they had these whole stats on like, field goal percentage within five feet of the rim and the Cavaliers had basically was harder to score within five feet of the rim on them compared to any other team. They was the hardest team to score on. And that's got to stay that way because remember the NBA is for many teams is two things, three pointers drive to the rim, nothing in between. So if you get, if you could take away that stuff at the rim, uh, it really helps you defensively. Yeah, and how about that Evan Mobley block the other night? Oh. On that, that was something. Well, you don't Mark see Stevens that every had day. a block. Remember, it was last week he had a block that was incredible too. Lamar Stevens did. Yeah, they're bringing it on defense. There's no doubt. So, so we'll see how the Cavs fare over this next week. They got a lot of games and a lot of important games in terms of playoff positioning. So, all right, Terry, let's talk some Guardians here. The boy, it seems like it happened a month ago now, but the lockout is over. The players are showing up to spring training. Pitchers are starting to pitch and hitters are starting to bat and it's uh, opening day is not that far away. It's so weird to have NBA, I mean, sorry, MLB free agency going on at the same time as NFL free agency, yeah. but the, the guardians have been kind of quiet so far. And we think it's probably going to be the same going forward. They'll, they are very targeted in what they do in terms of what they're looking for. Usually. Yeah. They're going to see if they could get any bargain, you know, some good players and some good players are going to be stuck out there, you know, where they, you know, they didn't get the money they thought. And the other thing that um, they're, you know, they try to trade for Matt Olson. You're probably going to try to trade for somebody else. I, I was talking to Paul Hoynes this morning and I was prepping for the show. So Paul and I were trying to do a lineup. And right now I've gotten a couple of emails from fans sort of challenging me to do it. I hadn't really pulled out the roster yet. Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, it's like you got Hedges as your catcher and you got Bobby Bradley at first and probably Jimenez at second or Gabriel Arias, you know, they come back with Rosario at short, the left side, you got legit players, Rosario and you got Jose. And then you got a legit player in center and strong. But after that, you know, now Hedges is a really good defensive catcher and there's all kinds of stats to show it, but he's not going to hit Bradley. I'm willing to come back with to see if he'll hit some home runs. By the way, I haven't mentioned DH because I don't have a clue. Um, and you know, then you're in the outfield, you got sort of the same suspects as in the past. So I, you know, they, they got to do something. Well, and they know that they know that. Yeah. And, and I think they will. That's why I haven't written anything particularly judgmental on them or whatever. I'm waiting to see how it shakes out. Yeah. And you know how it is in free agency, the dominoes start to fall for the upper tier guys and then things settle in and, and yeah. then usually the guardians are in the mix once that happens. So, all right, Terry, March madness is happening. Got quite a few Ohio teams involved, as usual. Uh, Wright State is playing their first four game tonight in Dayton against Bryant. That's at 640 for those Wright State grads out there. The Akron Zips. They're a nice team, David. They're a nice team because I watched them because I watched the Horizon League and, and they've got some nice players. And, you know, they upset Cleveland State. Um, it's like a year ago, I thought Rutt State was better. And, but 
they got knocked out kind of like Cleveland State did in the second round of the tournament. So they never did like Cleveland State this year. They never faced Cleveland State in the tournament, uh, Horizon Tournament a year ago. This time it was the other way. They they took out Cleveland State and then they, then they took out uh, whoever it was. So, but they did, and so they you know. I could see, I mean, I think they'll beat Bryant for whatever there. There's there's a big bold prediction everybody wanted to hear. And but I don't know what happens after that. All right. And then uh, getting back to Akron on Thursday, the Zips are going to be playing UCLA at 9:50 p.m. On Friday, Ohio State's taking on Loyola Chicago. That is going to be a tough one for the yes. guys. I will tell you Absolutely. that right now. And then Saturday, the Ohio State women are playing at 2:30. Their opponent hasn't been determined yet. They're waiting for their first um, opponent to be determined based on playing games. Uh, Terry, you've been writing a lot this week about Akron and what an amazing story it was, um, both as a team, how they kind of came out of nowhere, knocking off the top three seeds on their way to the, to the MAC championship. And also just how John Gross has built this team and, and a, a boy, a player who came out of nowhere does, didn't even think he was going to be playing college basketball. And now he's one of the stars of the team. Why don't you talk about the zips? Well, Enrique Freeman is symbolic of the Cavaliers. He went to St. Martin de Porres on the East side of Cleveland. It's an interesting school. We're there, you go to class four days a week. And then the fifth day, they're set up with different corporations in town. And the fifth day, you work. And the idea is to take, it's not all um, inner city kids, but a number of them are. And you in, expose them. This is how business works. You let them see, as uh, Freeman told me, be around successful people. And this, he goes, I didn't like it at first because he went to work and they were making them do stuff and dress nice and all these other things. Uh, so, he learned that. And like the last year he was there, he worked in the uh, HR department of the rock and roll hall of fame. So he wasn't out there with Mick Jagger's, you know, whatever they have at the hall. He was actually in the business end and he was at a tech company for two years. So he got a scholarship uh, or there's a corporation that had a deal with Akron U. So he got a scholarship academically to go to Akron. He played at, uh, uh, at, in high school, but he got no, the only he said the only person that reached out for him for basketball was Geneva College in Pennsylvania, D3 school. He says, I got back to them and they never got back to me. So that kind of <laughs> told him. So he just kind of went to school. He was playing pickup ball. And finally, uh, his parents and some friends convinced him to go out. And he had, I think he had the uh, basketball manager, Tyler Johnson, one of his classes was talking to him. And Tyler got him to, you know, to come out and told him when. But the Akron coaches never saw him though. He showed up for a tryout, an open tryout with 10 guys. And, and he, they pulled him out of there and they started this whole thing. And he ends up being the um, Mac now defensive player of the year. But then uh, he also, I mean, he's averaging 13 points, shooting 67% and 11 rebounds. And then he makes the, um, the MVP of the, the championship series at, at rocket mortgage arena. So it's a phenomenal story. John Gross has done a great job there, which wasn't easy replacing Keith Dambrot. The last three years, Akron has a 40 and 16 record in the MAC. That's the best overall. I was surprised to hear that. But we forget that two years ago, they had that team won 24 games and was primed really to, I thought, to get in the NCAA make a run, but that COVID wiped that out. Yeah, and going back to Enrique Freeman, if you watch him play, I mean, he's got, I think he's going to be back for two more years or? Yeah. Yeah. And, COVID and, and thing he's. And and you see some players who play at the mid-major level and, you know, they're six, two, six, three. I mean, Enrique Freeman is what six, seven, and he's yeah. got some filling out to do still. And if he keeps working on his offensive game, you never know where it'll take him. He's got, he's got a, a really he's good. He's there Jared friend. Allen. I mean, if you've seen Jared Allen where it seems like the guy never misses and has post-up moves, you don't see these guys. It's like some 
you know, Buffalo from Dances with Wolves just walked down Main Street. Like, <laughs> Where did this come from? Because in college ball, you rarely see um, guys with post-up moves. And, and he didn't have them when all this began. Dustin Ford, one of the assistants there, worked with him and worked with him. By the way, he's real close to getting his communications degree. He Then he's got, he's got a minor in business. He's going to finish that up, and then he's going to go for his MBA. He's got this thing all planned out. I mean, he sounds like you could tell the influence of that work period he had. Uh, has He is one of the mo- was one of the most engaging, thoughtful college athletes I've interviewed in a long, long time. And so it's, uh, it's cool to see him, local product, and, you know, the, of course, the NCAA, who loves to take care of mid-major programs, sent them to Portland to play UCLA. Of course, which is the way it goes. Well, it should be goes, fun. What a, what a fun story. Thanks for sharing that, Terry. And, uh, yeah, again, the Zips are playing Thursday at 9.50 p.m. against UCLA out in Portland. Should be a good one. So, all right, we got some Hey Terry questions. Ready, Terry? Yep. All right. This one, hey, Terry, this is from Doug in Ashtabula. He says, I work in a nursing home, and as you discussed, many folks watch Cleveland sports on TV. I remember in the 90s when visiting my mom during the early Tribe Glory years, every TV, including hers, was tuned to the game. It was baseball in stereo as you walked down the hall. As Bally Sports has taken over many broadcasts, and as they seemingly want everything to go the way of the streaming service, do you see any future for the availability of local sports on TV? Folks will continue to lose interest, in my opinion, especially in baseball. So just a little background before you answer. So Bally's, the, the Guardians are in a relationship with Bally Sports, which can restrict which networks get to show the games. Uh, right now, if you have like YouTube TV, a lot of the satellite services, you can't get ballets on your TV. So anyway, this kind of ties into your column of last uh, last week. Yeah, I mean, most of them are running off in the nursing homes that I go to. They are running off of, I think, the spectrum where I go. They are running off the cable, but they are going to have to figure this out because more and more of the streaming thing. I just don't know enough about it to have an opinion other than you don't want to limit your audience. Oh, there's no doubt. I, I you know, I, growing up in Chicago in the early 1980s, cable TV was starting to grow in Chicago and the White Sox went on cable. I think it was a thing called on TV or something mm-hmm. that they came up with. And basically the games used to be on a, on channel 44, which used to be like WUAB channel 43 here. And Harry Carey and Jimmy Pearsall would do the games on channel 44 and everybody could see them. it. They, they were the funniest play-by-play yeah. and color commentators you'd ever hear. And the White Sox were probably more popular than the Cubs in the 70s because of those guys. And then when the White Sox went on that cable system, they're, not only did their viewership go down, but they lost an entire generation of fans to the Cubs. And, I you know, mean, you, you have baseball, to think about that stuff as a team. If you're the Guardians, like, hey, yeah. we have to make sure we're out there enough, but we're still bringing enough revenue to run the team. It's, it's a tough equation. Yeah, and I know the Cavs are dealing with the same question. Because they're they're very limited. That's why I keep getting emails from Cavs fans saying, "Well, I can't see it because I have these other services." So, my guess is they'll work out. But you're correct on on their. You can't just say we we've always done it this way, so we're just going to do it this way. All Not right. in the media biz. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and um, yeah, the belly sports arrangement is something they'll have to keep keep an eye on and see what they can do and. We'll see what happens there. So, all right, here's another question, Terry. 
think we have time for one more. This one is from Jason in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. It's about the Guardian's name change. Terry, I love your books. I recently read Vintage Browns and Vintage Calves. I wish you and Cleveland.com would kindly refer to our MLB team as Cleveland. It is such a huge turnoff when I read the new name of the team, and I will enjoy the season much more if you honor my request. I'd feel the same way if the Browns or the Cavaliers changed their names after so many years of pledging my allegiance to those team names. Understand that if we'd been the the Cleveland Telegraphs for the last 130 years and the name was now changed, I'd feel every bit as upset about it. I'm sure I'll get over it at some point, but I'm not there yet. I'm confident I'm not the only reader who feels this way. Well, you are the boss of our department. You make big decisions like what we call these teams. So your thoughts? Um, Hey, he's entitled to feel how he feels, uh, Jason. And I get it. But, you know, if if fans thought that way, this team would what still be called the Naps, right? Yeah, the, the Cleveland Naps or the Cleveland Nap Lajoy family be thrilled. Yeah, that. they would, and they'd be they'd be well, making they a bunch have, of licensing. You know what money. they could have been? Remember that the dreaded spiders. All the people with spider well, phobias would be the name off is the Guardians. I'm going to call them the Guardians. I might play with the G Men a little bit. I don't know. Uh, Cleveland. It, I'm just. I'm just not going to spend a lot of time on the name. Yeah, I just thought it was an interesting sentiment. Like it's not, it, it wasn't is, the Indians' is. name and, that he has a problem with. It was just like the losing Jason, the years Jason of whatever the name represents was. Represents a lot of people on this too. Jason Absolutely. So that's that's it. But I I just think that uh, I mean it is what the the Indians rolled it out as a marketing thing. You know, the name on the front is still Cleveland, but that that is the main thing. As somebody who grew up here long enough to remember different times, this franchise was very close to moving. And Cleveland is, fans don't like to hear this, but Cleveland is the smallest market with Major League Baseball, NFL, and the NBA. And there are a lot of people who study the sports business that keep thinking that it's too small of a market to have enough corporate support and so on for all three of those franchises. So when you tie the the name chains, but you also tie it into the new lease and the the stadium upgrades, my goal was always to keep the franchise here. And, uh, you know, I, w- I, was, I was always against Chief Wahoo back to 1996 and wanting to change it, but I was not against an Indian's name change. But if that's part of the deal, I'm a lot more worried about what it says on the front of the jersey. Yeah, and I think time will help fans. get. Over. I mean, Tom, Ham- Tom Hamilton gave a beautiful monologue uh, at the last game last year. It's, it's Cleveland's baseball team. Yeah. It's still going to be beautiful in, in, on a July night going down to the ballpark, mm-hmm. watching the, the team play. And you're going to make new memories. And, and 20 years from now, people will be talking about what a great time they had watching the Guardians do whatever. So um, I thought that was really eloquent. I know Tom to worked on that, by the way, uh, for a long time because he chatted with me a little bit. Not that he asked. He just said, well, I'm really working on Because I said to him, you know what you're going to say? He said, I've been working on it. Um, and then he did chat with me a little bit about what we just discussed about how the time, because I know the team moved. So I gave him some of the background and how it almost moved, you know, a couple of times. And he goes, Oh, well, that's really good. So, uh, I mean, to me, Hamilton is the gold standard of baseball broadcasting anyway. And, and I realize it's a hometown thing, but when you do travel around or even if you have Sirius or something, listen to some of the other broadcasters, 
Uh, we got good. We got good ones here. Tim Alcorn's very good on the NBA, by the way. You know, he is he is the spiritual and radio son of Joe Tate. You know, Joe was his was his radio godfather, and you could hear a lot in it. So, I think we're really blessed, and I like Donovan too. Yeah, we're, you're right. We are lucky here. If you drive around, if you do drive around, and you listen, a lot of the other announcers and the other markets all sound the same. And when you're listening to a Cleveland game, you know, yeah, you, you get know a it's a Cleveland flavor. guy. Yeah, for sure. So. All right, Terry, we're uh, running up against time here. There's a Terry's trivia question I want to ask you, and I have a feeling you're going to get this one. All right, Amari Cooper, the new Browns receiver. He went to Miami Northwestern High School in Florida, which is a prominent high school powerhouse. In 2010, it was his junior year. He caught 16 passes for 175 yards. He was battling injuries in 2010. The quarterback who threw him those passes is one of your favorite guys that you have lobbied for the Browns to get in here somehow. So the only reason I know it is because there's a guy named Tom Ford who writes me and he's a, he's a retired teacher from Lutheran, uh, Lutheran East. And he's no, excuse me, Lutheran West. And he said, you will be happy to know. And he sends me this long thing about Teddy Bridgewater and Amari Cooper. <laughs> Otherwise, I would not have known it. Oh, you got it. I figured you were going to get it. Yes, Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback at Miami Northwestern High School and played on the same team as Amari Cooper. There you go. And, and uh, like I said, Amari Cooper caught 16 balls from him for 175 yards and four touchdowns. He was battling injuries that season. And then they both made their way to the NFL. So, all right. That'll wrap it, Terry. So no big plans for St. Patrick's Day. No, except for covering free agency. Won't have and... any either because they're going to be doing Browns, Browns, and more Browns. So, I'm actually going to go out tomorrow night with some of my family and see The Quiet Man. Do you ever see the that old John Wayne movie, The Quiet Man? No. It's from like 1952. He plays a an American boxer who goes back to Ireland to forget really? his his uh, troubled past. And the movie was actually filmed in County Mayo, which is where my dad was born. Cool. Um, and they're showing it at theaters all around Cleveland. So we're going to go watch cool. that. I don't want to ruin the ending for you, but at the end, uh, Bono shows up and convinces them to all leave and join a band. So wow. that's the ending. So we're going to do that tomorrow night. It should be fun. That's what you think. Wait to the, wait to wait. To Unless the Deshaun Watson, Watson trade Watson. happens at 5 PM, in which case I will not be going. So, yeah. uh, but anyway, have a great one, Terry. Um, any, any NCAA picks you want to make here? Anybody, any teams you're no. excited about? All I right. have nothing to say about anything on that. All right. Well, good luck to everybody with their bracket. Hope it doesn't get busted. And we'll catch you next week on Terry's Talking. Talking.